This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now, the ninth Conference on Climate Change and Development in Africa conference took place last week on 13th to 17th of this month in Kabovare Island, organized by the UN Economic Commission for Africa, ACA. Now, this year's CCDA's theme was Towards a Just Transition that Delivers Jobs, Prosperity, and Climate Resilience in Africa, Leveraging the Green and Blue Economy. I had a conversation with Jean-Paul Adam. Now, Jean-Paul Adam is the Director for Technology, Climate Change, and Natural Resources at ECA. And our conversation was on how Africa is financing a green and blue economy and why a just transition is critical when climate change and COVID-19 pandemic are hard-hitting economies. Here is our conversation. Greetings from Seychelles, where I'm currently uh, telecommuting. And uh, my name is Jean-Paul Adam. And I'm the Director for Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resources at the UN Economic Commission for Africa. Uh, and I'm normally based in Addis Ababa. In my past, I've worked uh, previously for the government of the Republic of Seychelles, where I was a minister in the cabinet, in particular covering portfolios of finance and the blue economy. And that's informing a lot of the work that we're doing now, uh, supporting African countries to, uh, to be able to uh, adopt uh, principles aligned with a green and blue economy. Fantastic. When I was looking into the Africa's recovery and basically not just only Africa, but basically the global recovery when it comes to COVID-19 and also dealing with climate change, there are different terms that have actually come up, but they're not new and concepts that have actually been talked about over the years now. And we have green economy. There's also the blue economy and there's also now the nature-based solutions. Uh, I just wanted you to elaborate. What do we mean when you talk about green economy, when you talk about blue economy and when you talk about nature? nature-based solutions, what do we mean and what kind of examples maybe you can just elaborate to kind of make uh, people understand when you talk about these different three aspects? Well, firstly, the blue and green economy are ways of conceptualizing economic development, uh, which is sustainable um, at at the basis. Mm -hmm. And this is important because the, uh, and particularly if we look at Africa, the uh, models of economic development have essentially uh, focused around uh, extractive sectors and the uh, one of the challenges around the extractive sector in Africa for example is that while extractives contribute to over 11 percent of Africa's exports they provide less than one percent of Africa's employment so the the key challenge even before COVID-19 uh, was on the scene uh, was how we could actually derive uh, economic benefits for African countries uh, that provide long-term sustainability uh, and which are also uh, actually enhancing the natural environment from which wealth is derived in the first instance. Mm-hmm. So a green economy is is how we picture this kind of development, uh, particularly looking at the natural environment and Africa's rich uh, land-based natural resources. And the blue economy is the way in which we conceptualize it in an oceanic space, recognizing that Africa is surrounded by by oceans and Africa actually has a lot of resources uh, that are based in the ocean, but which are too often uh, exploited by distant nations rather than by African countries themselves. Mm -hmm. So the transition towards a green and blue economy is a priority even before COVID-19. With the impact of COVID-19, they gain 
I would say a lot more relevance uh, because the, they allow us to, to build forward better uh, and have a new paradigm of development, which is uh, centered on sustainable development. Yeah. And the link with uh, nature-based solutions is also that the, uh, the recognition that climate change actually has an impact on economies, which is in some cases even, uh, even more significant than COVID-19. Uh, we note that African countries, uh, and the recent report that we've done has shown that African countries on average can spend up to 5% of their GDP in responding to climate-related natural disasters. Mm -hmm. And modeling that we've done going forward has shown that by 2030, climate change could cost countries up to 5% of their GDP on an average, but in some ex uh, extreme cases, and such as the Sahel, the losses may, up to, may be up to 15% of GDP. So climate change uh, has an impact which is as significant as COVID-19, but it's more of a slow burn, whereas COVID-19 has been uh, a more of an explosive impact, which has hit uh, livelihoods in the immediate. And the, the conversation around nature-based solutions is that how can we invest in, in, uh, in projects that actually enhance the value of nature, but also create livelihoods in the immediate? And we've seen from uh, recent work that we've done on a green recovery, and there's a green recovery report that we recently released, based on case studies that have been done in a few countries. And to take South Africa as an example, it showed that uh, in South Africa, investing in the green economy and in nature-based solutions provided 250% more jobs than if you were invest investing in similar fossil fuel-based industries. Mm -hmm. And that you'd also get 420% more value added in the economy than if you were invested in the fossil fuel-based sectors. So mm -hmm. the, the investment in the green and blue economy and in nature-based solutions is about building long-term resilience to, uh, to external shocks, whether they be COVID or climate, uh, and, uh, and also ensuring that livelihoods are protected in the longer term in a, in a more systematic way. Mm. All right, thanks for that. And I was actually wondering in terms of the green economy, because this has not been actually new, uh, what, what really tangibly has, um, would you say, is actually been done uh, on the ground that can actually probably, that is informing nature-based solutions, moving to nature-based solutions? Well, in terms of the green economy, Africa has a huge uh, opportunity around agriculture. Investing in climate smart uh, agriculture can bring huge benefits uh, for, for communities, for uh, rural populations, but also can play a key role in relation to the African continental free trade area. Mm -hmm. What we want through the AFCFTA is a, a race to the top and not a race to the bottom. We want to make sure that we build uh, sustainable livelihoods and which are not diminished over time because sometimes what happens with slash and burn agriculture for example is that over time the soil becomes less uh, less fertile uh, because we're not using opt optimal inputs mm -hmm. but through climate smart agriculture you're actually looking at the uh, the long-term benefit of the the environment which actually contributes towards the the uh, productivity of the agricultural sector uh, mm -hmm. and there's been a recent report as well that has shown how much uh, the uh, the impact uh, uh, that is linked to, for example, invasive species due to degraded environments, which is costing African agriculture huge sums uh, every year. So a nature-based solution approach to agriculture, for example, could, could completely transform the agricultural networks um, on the continent, could provide food security, as well as increasing the opportunity, for example, for medium and small, small and medium enterprises. Uh, this, of course, does mean a, a, a different model it means accepting in some cases that the cheapest is not best. Uh, 
It means uh, that we want to have standards for food production which are respected across the continent. Uh, and it means looking at, uh, in, in a very realistic fashion, what are the real livelihoods that, that, these, uh, that this industry can support uh, in communities across the continent. Yeah. And perhaps some more specific examples, we can look at uh, recent work that's being done in Ethiopia around what's called the Green Legacy Project, uh, where uh, livelihoods are being linked to replanting of trees. And these trees are being replanted in areas that protect water sources, because quite often deforestation also has an impact on water sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, basically people are, are creating employment opportunities around this reforestation Uh, which includes uh, the setting up of manufacturing of uh, clean cooking solutions. Uh, so people are actually manufacturing these stoves and selling them, reducing the impact on the forest, but also creating livelihoods in those areas, as well as investing in forest-based agriculture. So these are some examples uh, of what can be done. And if you look at the green recovery reports that we've done for South Africa, which is a more industrialized economy, you can also see that even there, there are huge opportunities for uh, investments in agroforestry, Uh, and around the blue economy, there's opportunities for things like what is called uh, vertical ocean farming, uh, where you have aquaculture that's done in the sea, uh, and which at one level you're looking at things like seaweed, and others you're looking at mollusks, uh, and which allows to get uh, uh, to, to increase the productivity and food security um, uh, linked to the protection as well of those resources from which the asset is derived in the first place. Mm. You mentioned that extractive sector provides about 11% of exports for Africa. But then again, um, when you look into part of this extractive sector, actually contributes a lot in terms of emissions. And nations need to ensure that we achieve the Paris Agreement goals. And we find that many African nations that are actually just discovering oil and different other issues. And I know just transition is among the issues that are very prevalent when it comes to the ninth um, climate change and development meeting, CCDA conference in Cape Verde. We have to develop at the end of the day and still we have to actually deal with COVID-19. At the end of the day, we also have to deal with uh, climate impacts. Why is just transition critical at this particular moment for this continent? The just transition is particularly important because Africa is starting from a lower level of industrialization. Mm-hmm. And countries, um, industrialized countries, have benefited from essentially polluting indiscriminately for hundreds of years uh, and have built on that base. So if, you are, uh, if you've got an electricity network which was, you know, started, uh, started development, um, you know, 100 years ago or, uh, or even more recently, but uh, the, you, you're building on a significant uh, base generation, which unfortunately in large parts of Africa is not present. Uh, there are countries in Africa where less than 10% of the population have access to a reliable form of energy. There are almost 600 million Africans who have no access at all to electricity. So the scale of the investment that needs to be done is significant. And you've got the problem of intermittency, which is also associated with uh, renewables. Now, if you've got a large base generation already established, uh, intermittency is less of a problem and you can add uh, you can add renewable energy almost ad infinitum. Uh, in, in many African countries, the options for creating base generation capacity uh, using only renewables is going to be challenging. Hydropower offers a lot of opportunity and there are a lot, large number of projects that, are, that have been uh, identified across the continent. But we've seen recently in Southern Africa, in, in Zimbabwe and in, in Zambia, 
where droughts have affected the capacity of these countries to generate electricity, which has then had a huge impact on contraction of GDP. So the the issue of a, a just transition is that there, there's likely to be a, a, a need for uh, at least some fossil fuel-based uh, investments on the continent, uh, which will actually help to then factor in uh, renewable energy in the long term. Uh, and that's, I think, an argument which has not been fully understood. So African countries are actually uh, perhaps the first to, to say that we need to achieve low carbon development and African countries uh, are in many ways also leading the, the charge towards net zero. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, recognizing that African uh, Africa overall uh, has less than 4% of global emissions while representing over 17% of the world population. So per capita, Africa is already, we could say, net positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Africa also has a significant, uh, a significant asset in terms of carbon sinks. The Congo Basin alone accounts for uh, three years worth of the global emissions in terms of its capacity to absorb uh, uh, carbon dioxide. So we've got these carbon sinks in Africa, which are very significant. On the other side of that coin is the need to uh, industrialize, but in a, a low carbon way. And, the, and African countries, if you look at the the projects under the uh, uh, African Union PIDA program, which are the projects identified at continental level as priority for investment, um, of the 19 energy projects, 18 of them are renewable. So there's only one that is fossil fuel based. So African countries are looking uh, to invest mainly in renewables. And uh, studies that ECF have shown is that 80% of Africa's energy needs can be achieved through renewable energy um, to achieve the sustainable development goals by 2030. But because of the base generation need, uh, mm-hmm. there is going to be a need for some fossil fuels. We've been looking at gas in particular as a transition, as being one of the least polluting among fossil fuels. But also the importance that gas will play as part of uh, clean cooking solutions and also as part of other industrialization aspects, for example, in the development of the agricultural sector and fertilizers, even though bio, uh, biological based fertilizers will, will, will surely have a growing role. But it's about defining that transition and looking at the, the pace of that transition where Africa may need some more time because of its starting point, which is a low level of industrialization and in particular the need to connect people to electricity to be able to provide them with basic needs. We can't educate the population on the continent if they don't have access to electricity. Uh, We can't provide basic healthcare services if there's no access to electricity. And we can't provide vaccines uh, to fight COVID-19 if there's no electricity. So that's the priority investment that has to happen. And at the moment, the technologies uh, show that there will be a need for at least some fossil fuel-based investment. But the market is is already defining a move away from fossil fuels, which is unavoidable. And I think most African countries have already accepted that fact. Mm-hmm. And I would also switch in terms of uh, talking about finance, which is actually critical for this continent, not just you know for any continent to achieve uh, its development. Um, the IMF estimates says that um, for a sustainable recovery, Africa will require investment of about three hundred and forty-five billion US dollar over the, the next three years. And we've already seen uh, by April this year, the global fiscal support to stimulate and recover economies um, reached about 16.7 trillion shillings, uh, US dollars, meaning that there is finance when governments are willing to provide that particular finance. 
But then we've seen in terms of international discussions, providing finance has been a big uh, pull and push issue between developed and developing nations. And already in 2019, I was looking at the ECA report and it says that African countries were already spending between two to 9% of their GDP to address climate events. And this is not even factoring in uh, the COVID impacts. So I'm actually wondering in terms of the green economy and, and um, blue economy that has already been implemented over now some years now, how has the finance flows been? How has countries been um, managing to access financing in terms of uh, financing uh, their projects under this particular blue economy and green economy? I think the financing uh, aspect, uh, Sophie, is really is really critical to unlock uh, sustainable development. And sure. in Africa, the fight against chi- climate change is about development. Uh, yes. It's about providing sustain- sustainable pathways for people to have uh, to have livelihoods uh, that uh, that are lasting and that allow them to support their families. That's what climate change is about in Africa. It's sure. it's not about lifestyles. It's not about changing lifestyles. It's really about giving people the basics um, so that they uh, can can live a meaningful and productive lives. Mm. And the uh, the financing gap in Africa is, is huge, as you already mentioned. Uh, the the figure of over 350 billion is actually a conservative one, I think. They've revised that to say that would be the basic, uh, mm. and that the the real figure is probably in excess of 400 billion. Mm. Uh, and so the that's in the context as well where African countries are running fiscal deficits on average, uh, which peaked at, um, uh, at over minus eight percent at the peak of the crisis as an average. Uh, so African countries don't have the fiscal space to raise uh, money from their own economies to invest in the key sectors that are necessary. Uh, in contrast as well, the if you look at the OECD countries, they're able to borrow at extremely low rates. Uh, mm-hmm. Using market-based mechanisms, they can get rates at below 1%. Uh, African countries, even the best placed uh, industrialized African country would not be able to borrow at uh, much better than maybe five or 6%. So it's costing African countries about five to six times more to borrow money also for investment in uh, a green recovery. And the uh, the financing that has been available uh, to respond uh, to COVID-19 while, uh, while it has been very appreciated is still uh, relatively low rel- uh, compared, to the, compared to the needs, uh, mm-hmm. compared to the global needs. Um, if we uh, consider that the, the, uh, there was, uh, I believe, uh, 56 billion that was uh, pledged uh, in uh, 2020, uh, but I think only uh, 35 billion was actually uh, dispersed. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the climate needs, where there's been commitments under the Paris Agreement for over 100 billion per year. Uh, obviously, this is not only for Africa; that's for the whole world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But 100 billion per year from 2020, which is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. But it has been very clear that the, if we're going to have a recovery which is global. That means also uh, increasing the the level of development among uh, those who are most marginalized. And that will actually facilitate a global recovery. So it's absolutely essential that funds are mobilized upfront. And a lot of this financing has to come through the Green Climate Fund and the COP26 discussions hopefully will uh, will actually help to deliver in terms of this financing, not because, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's in the interest of all countries on the planet uh, mm-hmm. to achieve this recovery. And that means investing in countries where the growth uh, is most needed. 
and that includes African countries. Mm. There's also a need for uh, innovative sustainable financing mechanisms. Uh, so some of these need to be market based because the uh, not all of the financing will come from will, can be can be raised from public funds, particularly in the context of the pandemic. So a lot of the financing has to come from the private sector. And in Africa, that's about de-risking uh, private sector investments. And the ECA has proposed this liquidity and sustainability facility, which will use a portion of SDRs uh, to reduce the cost of investment by the private sector in Africa and make the, the rates more affordable for African middle-income countries in particular. And African middle-income countries are now the majority. People tend to think about the uh, the least developed countries or low-income countries, but uh, and they they absolutely need uh, a lot of support. But the majority of countries are now middle-income in Africa, mm. and there are also a huge uh, portions of populations that are vulnerable that are in middle-income countries. And unless we find ways to invest in electricity, water, sanitation, uh, education, health, uh, these populations, even within these countries that are being classed as middle-income based on their GDP per capita. But these populations will still be left behind because the investments are not happening. So the liquidity and sustainability facility is one way to uh, bring in private sector investment. Mm -hmm. There's opportunities as well for reducing the cost of uh, of, uh, of finance for African countries through uh, partial guarantees for green and blue bonds, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that uh, Seychelles did a blue bond in, in 2018. Mm -hmm. There are countries such as Kenya that have also gone down this route. Uh, and explored things such as rhino bonds, uh, means by which you can raise money from markets which are invested in sustainable projects. There's the opportunity as well for debt for adaptation swaps. Uh, mm -hmm. And that means repurposing a part of existing debt, uh, which would then be, uh, the savings would be would be committed towards investing towards climate resilience. And even countries, and this can apply for countries that are in debt distress, but it can also apply for countries that have lower levels of debt, but which to make investments that build their resilience. So I think there's a real need to uh, embrace those innovations uh, in a meaningful way to upscale uh, dramatically the amount of finance that is available uh, for investment in climate resilience. Mm -hmm. And as has been shown by in the Green Recovery Report that we've done, those investments will actually trigger more jobs and more value addition in the economy. And in terms of Africa continental free trade area, is there a way where African countries as a block um, can work together in terms of assuring that they actually can manage to actually finance their own development? Well, the AFCFTA is a real opportunity to build sustainable value chains. Um, and that's recognizing that um, if there, where there is mil minimal value addition, essentially when a product is extracted and exported without uh, value addition, uh, then the benefit which is retained within the country and the continent is is reduced. And that's the broader problem that we've had with extractives uh, on the continent uh, so far. Uh, looking at greener value chains and embracing, for example, technologies that facilitate uh, um, low carbon uh, production and manufacturing uh, would allow African countries uh, to, to spread the wealth more evenly among uh, producing countries, and that would mean that not necessarily everything would be in one country, but you would have uh, value chains that are developed across the continent. Uh, this does mean uh, increased standardization in terms of environmental standards. Uh, mm -hmm. it, uh, it also means looking at, and one of the things that, we, that I should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about the just transition, uh, it means also looking at, for example, green economy minerals. And uh, so the mineral sector and the extractive sector, it's also 
it's not just about petroleum and uh, and coal. Uh, it's also about rare earth minerals such as lithium, cobalt, uh, which are used in battery technologies. Uh, and how can we sustainably extract these and be part of that wider value chain? So not only extracting them for them to be processed elsewhere, but to have that processing done in Africa uh, mm-hmm. to produce not just the uh, the batteries, but part of the wider value chain. The, the study that we did recently on South Africa showed that uh, uh, South Africa has a real opportunity, for example, to invest in, in the manufacturing of electric vehicles, uh, recognizing the increased demand that's going to be happening globally. Mm-hmm. And the, a lot of those inputs, uh, including the components that are that are necessary for for the batteries, are available in Africa. And if we can build those value chains within Africa, uh, leveraging the AFCFTA, uh, we will be we'll have created better value jobs and more sustainable value chains uh, across the continent. And sure. that's the essence of what we want through a green AFCFTA. Thank you so much, so much. Uh, you find a word. I think the the focus has to be on investing now. The, yeah. which is difficult because the because African countries obviously don't have access to the financing that they need. Uh, and this is a message that has to go out globally that front-loading the response by investing immediately creates a more long-term benefit. Uh, and investing in African countries will create huge opportunities for Africa itself, but will create wider benefits across the global economy uh, because the, the scale of the, the impact will be more significantly felt. And this has been borne out by the work that we have done in terms of the analysis on a green recovery, where the investment in these green sectors, uh, and if we take renewable energy, it creates more jobs. Mm-hmm. It creates more inclusive jobs as well, because if you're investing in renewables, uh, about 10% more jobs are taken up by women in renewables as opposed to fossil fuels, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it creates more jobs, it creates uh, more inclusive jobs, uh, it creates better paid jobs, and more sustainable jobs in the long term. And those jobs also are better linked to uh, the value addition uh, within the, the, the chain. So it creates an opportunity that is not only uh, linked to, for example, the specific provision of energy, but can be linked to a, a wider value chain that can be spread across the continent. Mm-hmm. But to achieve all of that, it means it means upfront investment now and in those key sectors. And I think where African countries can, they should divert resources into these sectors, but we do recognize that a, the majority of countries probably don't have those resources right now, but the resources that would be made available, hopefully through uh, some serious commitments that would be made at COP26, yeah. and also some of the uh, reallocation of, of uh, special drawing rights of SDRs that have been discussed at the IMF, uh, that these funds can be put to good purpose and invested in areas that have the maximum impact. And these are uh, essentially around the green economy, the blue economy, and also in nature-based solutions, protecting mm. lives, protecting livelihoods, and building resilience in the long term. Mm. And you mentioned the special drawing rights, and I'm feeling as if like yeah, I think it's important for us to uh, basically uh, discuss just a little bit. And um, when it comes to special sure. drawing rights of IMF, uh, the IMF, um, so for the member states, for the member countries who can actually draw from these funds, um, uh, explain what actually it means. Does it mean like, is, is it more in terms of repayments? Does it um, loans? Is it more grants? Does it, uh, you know, because then again, the issue is also make, making sure that we're developing, we're accessing funds, but then we do not add on to the burden, debt burden that the countries already have. How does the special drain rights work? Well, SDRs or special drawing rights are extremely low cost money. 
So yes, it's not free money. Um, it's something which has to be re reimbursed, but it's at uh, at such a low rate that it's, uh, you know, if you invest it, uh, and, and it essentially is a, um, a facility to boost reserves in countries and therefore provides additional liquidity into a country system, which then, uh, in theory, then provides uh, access to new funds that can be invested uh, wisely, and particularly in terms of the response. The challenge, of course, is that Africa actually has only uh, about 30 billion of the total uh, SDRs that have been issued out of the 650, well, they've not been issued yet, but which, of which the proposal is there. Uh, mm. So Africa has actually a very small share of the mm. amount of money and liquidity that we made available. So one of the key proposals that ECA has been has put forward is that uh, countries that don't necessarily need these SDRs could on-lend them at very affordable rates to countries that do need, need them. Yeah. And of course, with appropriate transparency and uh, understanding that this would be invested in areas that create the maximum impact. Uh, and that includes, for example, energy. I mean, the energy need in Africa uh, is perhaps priority number one, because it's a platform from which you can invest in other sectors. As I mentioned before, you can't provide even basic education without electricity, and you can't sure. provide even basic healthcare without electricity. Uh, the investments that are done, therefore, in, in the base generation uh, in Africa are going to be transformative. Uh, and that investment needs to happen as quickly as possible. So the SDRs is about providing quick, more affordable finance to, to African countries. To be clear, the SDRs are only part of the solution. Mm. On their own, they will not make the difference. It has to be a, a system-wide, at the global level, uh, commitment towards green investments. Uh, SDRs are going to be part of that. Uh, an increase in commitments uh, to fund climate finance um, at least to 100 billion per year uh, is one uh, opportunity. Uh, innovations such as green and blue bonds uh, are also uh, real opportunities. Uh, the debt swaps are, are an opportunity to be explored. And one that I haven't mentioned as well would be uh, carbon offsets and carbon trading, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, we could raise, if there is an increase in the global price of carbon, if there is an agreement at COP26 for a global mm -hmm. price of mm -hmm. carbon, uh, under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, it could mm -hmm. be transformative for Africa in terms of leveraging its carbon sinks. Uh, so these are things that, uh, and for example, uh, the high-level commission on carbon pricing proposed a price of at least uh, $50 per ton, whereas currently it's usually below $5 per ton. So mm -hmm. these are the kind of things that could dramatically uh, improve access to financing. And if that financing is invested in the right areas in the green recovery, uh, the impact for, for ordinary African citizens uh, could be very significant. Mm. That also means that calls for accountability in terms of from home itself, like in terms of the reserves, the money that nations get, then there's needs for accountability and making sure that also that money goes into these particular infrastructures that are geared towards uh, green, um, uh, blue, and also nature-based resource, I mean, recovery, right? Absolutely. And I think, of course, there, there's too often bad publicity around this for African countries, but African countries have made very significant uh, strides in improving their governance of their macroeconomic frameworks mm -hmm. and also in terms of uh, tackling illicit financial flows. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there are a number of, of success stories uh, around this. And the uh, new financial mechanisms can have transparency built in as well. If you take, for example, a debt swap, 
where you could repurpose existing debt. Uh, this can be channeled in different ways. If I take the specific example of Seychelles, uh, there was actually a, 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 a special vehicle created, a trust fund that was created uh, that publishes um, all of the, the uh, funds that it disperses, uh, presents reports to, to parliament on an annual basis, uh, and uh, I, I think provides a model of transparency in terms of where funding goes that has been raised from this, uh, from this kind of debt swap. Uh, so you can build in uh, the, uh, the reporting mechanisms that can be used to improve that. And there's also a lot of opportunity using digital technologies uh, that, that can allow citizens themselves to follow more closely how uh, recovery spending is being used. And I know this is something that has been pursued in countries such as Kenya. Uh, and uh, there, these mechanisms can be uh, upscaled uh, at the level of the continent to provide much more accountability, uh, ultimately, uh, to citizens who, who are the ones that need to know where this money is being spent. Mm. Why is it that Africa has such a small uh, share of the SDRs? Well, it's linked to the, to the, uh, the weak economic leverage that African countries mm. have in the first instance. So essentially, the uh, it, it's based on their, their shares of the World Bank and their uh, position in the World Bank, uh, World Bank and IMF, sorry. So mm-hmm. because they because African countries generally have uh, a smaller investment and a smaller share, therefore, of those resources, mm-hmm. uh, special drawing rights are linked to the amount of uh, investment that you have in these institutions in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's the key challenge, uh, of course, for, for African countries. And because African countries' GDP globally is obviously uh, much less significant than uh, than the other major economies, uh, that contributes to them having the lower lower value of SDRs. Uh, mm. And uh, as has already been mentioned, I think the key part of the solution is to allow on lending so that SDRs can can fa- can facilitate investments where they're most needed. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jean Paul. I appreciate your time. And always, you, I'm meaning for really having a pleasure. Break. Yeah, and having a meaningful conversation as always. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sophie. That was Jean-Paul Adam, the Director for Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resources at the UN Economic Commission for Africa. Next week, we start building the momentum for this year's UN Climate Conference, the COP26. But before then, please listen to our many, many other episodes available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and every other podcast channel, as well as our website, www.africaclimateconversation.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Africa Climate Conversations. Kindly follow us there and let us interact. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Inaindeshwa na Afribots.